Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today's episode is a fun one because I'm doing a solo pod for the first time in a while. Had a little time this evening. You know, it's always time to celebrate when by 8 o'clock the kids are in bed, you've already washed the dishes, cleaned up the kitchen, and you've got like a free night ahead of you. And what better way to respond to that than to do a mailbag? And so put out a question on Twitter about any questions folks had. Nine folks responded with some good questions ranging from, you know, the deepest position in the draft to who are some over and undervalued players. I went through each position to look at that. What's some good reading material to look at in the offseason to learn a little bit more about fantasy baseball, some individual player analysis type stuff. So really just spans the gamut. So hope you enjoy this. Definitely let me know. Um, if you do, because if so, I will try to incorporate more of these on-the-fly mailbags uh, into the podcast rotation, especially as we get closer to the year. I definitely plan on upping uh, the number of podcasts. So definitely let me know what you think of this. Um, as usual, um, you can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. If you haven't already, please do leave a rating and review for the podcast. Always super pr- appreciative of that, and thank you to everybody who has done that. But without further ado, let's get this party started on the mailbag. All right, our first mailbag question comes from at Murphy's Law 317. And his question is, deepest position in the draft? So instead of just sharing the deepest position in the draft, I thought it might be helpful to kind of order them. And obviously, the depth of the draft really depends on your league. When you have different settings for your league, it's going to give it's going to raise or lower player valuations. The depth of the league is important as well, right? The shallower, shallower the league, the less depth you need and uh, the more important it is that you have a really top-heavy position. So like a good example of that would be third base in a shallow league is pretty strong because when you look at it, you know, even in a 12-team league, your 13th worst uh, third baseman is Matt Chapman, so which is not you know a bad guy to have as your as your starting third baseman in any league, and so that that's what I would say in general about this. Um, talking about 15-team leagues, since that's what I generally play, I would say the order is going to be. I'd start with shortstop probably, you know, just because it is an infield position and it's it's very deep up to about you know, pick 190 or so, and even, you know, beyond that in, in some instances. But I just think that the position is has a ton of different profiles in it. You know, they've got speed profiles, there's power profiles, uh, there's five ca- category contributors, there's just a lot of depth at shortstop. And I think close behind that is outfield. Uh, I just think similarly, while some of the starting jobs in outfield have evaporated, there's a lot more platooning I still do think there's a lot of value available late. And I think there's a lot of different profiles available late as well, you know, depending on the depth of the league. But you can get guys like Randall Grichuk, you know, towards pick 300 that are going to hit you uh, probably 300 or 300. That would be really nice. Uh, 30 plus home runs. Um, You have batting average and stolen base guys deep. 
you know, guys like Adam Eaton going around pit 200. So I just think that there's a lot of depth. And even as you get even further back in some of the draft champions leagues, you can kind of get different profiles at pick 400 plus. So shortstop and outfield, I think, are the deepest. Uh, First base and third base are pretty close together, I think. Um, I think third base has more top-end talent, but first base goes a little bit deeper. Uh, And so uh, for that reason, I probably have first base a little bit ahead of third base. I think once you get beyond pick like 120, 130, uh, you at third base, you know, there's a lot more question marks and a lot more variance in the performance that you're going to see. And I think if, for first base, it goes a little bit deeper. So in some of your 15 team leagues, you know, you're going to be able to get guys like, uh, you know, they don't sound great, but like on the strong side of a platoon, a guy like an Eric Thames uh, or even a Jesus Aguilar who should have everyday at bats, Brandon Belt. Again, they're not terrific players. Uh, but they're guys that can certainly help you over the course of a season in a deeper league. Uh, third base is very top-heavy, I think, but there's a lot of really good players. I mentioned Matt Chapman being you know, the 13th third baseman going off the board, uh, but he's going around pick 80, pick 85, and so it is a pretty deep position there. The, the shallowest position, I think, outside of catcher, which is easily the most shallow, and I don't think anybody would debate that. I mean, in, in one, in one single-catcher leagues, it's a little bit of a different story just because I think there's a lot of outside of JT Real Muto and maybe Gary Sanchez and uh, Yasmani Grandal. There's a lot of similarities between those guys, but that just makes it easier to wait. Second base, I think, is the least deep position. That's the one that really thins out quickest. Uh, for me, and so that's one of the reasons why I think I'm trying to prioritize a second baseman, you know, that can that can really contribute early on in drafts if I'm able to. Again, there's there's stuff that's available later, but uh, I think for second baseman, I think that's easily the the shallowest non-catcher lead. So thanks so much for your question, uh, Murphy's Law three one seven. What are some of your go-to annual reading material for bettering yourself as an analyst? I'm personally looking to kick it up a notch again. This is from at Mike underscore Curland. Mike uh, is all over the place with his writing. He writes for Fantrax, Rotoballer. Uh, he also has a podcast, uh, Bases Loaded podcast uh, that uh, I was on recently. So Mike, thank you for your two questions because the next question is going to be from Mike. Two, uh, the two main pieces that I go to are the Baseball Forecaster by Baseball HQ and then the process uh, by Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell. Those are my two kind of must-reads every off-season. And I think the reason why those are must-reads for me is because every year they have new kind of cutting-edge research. Um, and so in addition to kind of also sharing some of the previous research that they've done um, so that you don't, you don't forget it. But each, each year they kind of add something new. The process has only been around for two years, but I'm really enjoying I'm in the middle right now of reading that one. And then the baseball forecaster has a research section at the front end that I find really helpful. Uh, just learned some really, I think, interesting uh, things this year in reading that. So I would recommend those two for sure. They also have in-depth profiles on pretty much all of the kind of draftable guys. Um, so those are two like kind of heavier reading material. And it sounds kind of ridiculous, but Twitter, you know, I'm obviously on Twitter uh, a decent amount. And there's just so much content being produced. There's so many talented folks in the uh, community right now that I just really, um, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm reading stuff like Jeff Zimmerman comes out with new research 
you know, like it seems like on a weekly basis that I'm always trying to integrate into my own process and the way that I think about the game. Ariel Cohen um, has been coming out with some great things. Alex Chamberlain uh, has always has some great things. I mean, there's always really great cutting edge research and new metrics being developed that I think are helpful in furthering, you know, your fantasy baseball knowledge and finding ways to integrate those into, you know, the way you play the game. So that's what I would recommend. Mike's second question um, is, which hitters do you think ADP is far off their value? Which players are over and undervalued, essentially? Again, that's from at Mike underscore Curlin again. So I will go through this. For catchers, um, I think one guy who's undervalued, I mean, um, uh, Salvador Perez would be kind of an obvious guy, I think, just because you know he uh, he would be going much earlier in drafts if he... You know, if he wasn't injured last year, but I do think there is some injury risk and his draft price is moving up. And so I went with somebody that I haven't talked as much about, and that's Yadier Molina. Uh, When you look at Molina, he is, uh, among my valuations, he is the 162nd most valuable player, and his ADP is 142 or 242. So you're looking at about an 80 pick difference. You know, he has struggled a little bit with injuries in recent years. You know, he still gets you, though, close to 500 plate appearances. So the volume is definitely going to be there. Um, He hit 270 last year, 261 the year before that, 273, 307. So very consistent contributor in terms of batting average. Um, His power has also had an uptick in recent years. 18 home runs, 20, only 10 last year. Um, but you know, and he's projected for 12, but I do think that there's a little bit of, uh, of upside there, um, on the power potential. And then just a solid contributor overall, um, in runs and RBI doesn't strike out a lot. The walk rate isn't great. So he's less valuable in OBP leagues, but he's had a little bit of a renaissance by cutting down his ground ball rate and increasing his hard hit rate. And the contact rate is always awesome. So he just seems like a really safe guy who, you know, as a back-end catcher one or a high-end catcher two, it's just really solid where he's going. And I think just um, all around a really good player. There's actually not a single catcher that I would consider overvalued, really, to be honest. You know, when I look at where they're going, when I look at their valuation and their projections, I don't think there's a lot of ways to go wrong. And there's a really good Ariel Cohen article that came out earlier today, actually, that looked at catcher value over the last two years and how good they are at holding it. And what they found, what he found actually is that lower down in drafts, um, you know, that most of the guys are kind of at slightly below or above value. And so they're a pretty, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, there's a lot of narrative out there that catching the catcher position is pretty volatile, but based on a recent Jeff Zimmerman article and this Ariel Cohen article, really was it, was it says is they're one of the least volatile positions from a projections perspective. Now, that may be because their plate appearances are, are lower, and so there might be a little bit less variance, but just in terms of re- meeting their value, it seems like they're priced relatively well. I think one guy who you know is going within the top 300 that I don't think I'll own at all, that's Buster Posey. He's just on such a downhill. Uh, he's just on such a downhill slope, and the power is non-existent. The speed is obviously non-existent. It's just kind of painful at this point in time. But again, going at about two seventy, if he just gets you some empty batting average, that could be 
that could be useful. So uh, Yadier Molina is is the guy that I like at catcher who's undervalued. Um, and I could go with a guy like Sanchez or Yasmani Grandal. But again, you know, I actually like, I don't mind both those guys. I actually like Sanchez more than Grandal. I liked Grandal a lot more uh, before the re-signing of Abreu and the signing of Edwin, D, uh, Ed, Edwin Encarnacion because I think that takes up a lot of uh, plate appearances. Going on to first base, uh, for first base, there's a lot of uh, good values, I think. And it came down to Carlos Santana and Edwin Encarnacion, but I'm going to go with Carlos Santana. Right now, I have him ranked as the, 92, the 92nd most valuable uh, player, um, and he is currently going at an ADP of 145. The reason I chose him over Encarnacion is just because Santana's profile is just so consistent makes a ton of contact, gets on base a lot. He hits in the middle of that uh, Indians lineup, and I just think he is a very solid bet to uh, get or return value. I think his batting average is going to drop uh, from last year for sure, but you know more to the 260-250 range, which isn't terrible, especially at first base where there's a lot of a lot of lower batting averages. So Carlos Santana is the guy I think that, that, that is the most undervalued according to ADP. And again, I'm trying to focus on guys who are in kind of the top 300. There's plenty of guys who may be drafted at, you know, pick 500 and maybe they're the 300th best player. But those are, I think, less intriguing than the guys going higher up in drafts. Uh, and this won't surprise anybody, but I think the most overvalued first baseman right now is Pete Alonso. Uh, he is currently ADP of 32. He's the 36th most valuable player. This is according to the ATC projections and my valuations. But I just think that last year was kind of a best case uh, scenario for Alonzo. He outperformed um, some of his uh, some of the metrics like Alex Chamberlain's uh, deserved barrel rate uh, or expected barrel rate, I should say. Uh, he he outperformed that, so I do. I think the power will definitely be there. Um, he's he's relatively solid for a power hitter, but you know if he's hitting you know f- yeah, forty home runs, you know with a two fifty batting average, uh, I just don't think at that point in the draft that that's the type of profile. When you do have guys like Santana or, or E five going much later in drafts who aren't going to get you the exact same thing, but uh, are pretty. Uh, pretty pretty similar in terms of the profile that they're providing. So that's first base. For second base, uh, for second base, I'm going to go with uh, Rugnet Odor. Now, I'm not usually an Odor fan because he's really been around ADP 100 or much earlier uh, in previous seasons. But this year, the drop seems to be providing a little opportunity for value. Uh, he's currently going at uh, pick 235. I have him as the 193rd most valuable player. Uh, I talked about him on the second base pod preview podcast with uh, with Bubba. I've talked about a lot of the guys that I'll go over here, but I think the projection is really nice in terms of the home run and the stolen bases. The batting average is certainly a concern, but there was definitely some improvement uh, with Odor lowering the ground ball rate. Uh, the contact rate dipped, but the plate discipline improved. He continued to hit the ball hard. And so I think there's enough uh, to like there where at his draft price right now, he makes for a pretty undervalued guy. And then I think for overvalued, I'm going to go with Colton Wong. Uh, right now, the 259th most valuable player, according to 
uh, my valuations and the 200 and or and going at an ADP of 214. I just think that last year was kind of a best case scenario um, for Wong. You know, you're you're getting him essentially for maybe a combination of batting average and stolen bases. But when you look at his stolen bases, 24 last year, he had fewer than that the three previous seasons. And while he also had another year of 285, that was sandwiched between 240 and 249. And so a 266 batting average with, you know, uh, 10 to 15 steals. I mean, there's a 16 steals in here for Steamer, but I just see Wong as a guy who might might be pl- who will likely be platooned. Um, so, you know, he's going to be in and out of a lineup and I just don't see a ton of value where he's going given what else is on the board. And so for that reason, he would be my most overvalued second baseman, uh, for shortstop, my, I mean, I'm going to pick two just cause I think there's a couple really undervalued shortstops. The first one is Javi Baez. I talked a lot about him on the preview podcast, but he is my 31th uh, most valuable player based on my valuations. He's going 44 with ADP. He's a five-category contributor. He's the same guy that was going back into the first round, early second round uh, last year, and he's going so much later. Uh, So really, really like Baez a lot. Uh, Paul DeYoung is another guy. I I really bought into him after the, the podcast with Ariel Cohen and hearing Ariel talk a little bit about the value opportunity and digging in a little bit deeper. There's just a lot of improvements that he's made. The batting average is really the only major concern, but from a stat counting stat perspective, from a power perspective, and easily even from a potentially sneaky stolen base perspective, I think he's a very solid value where he's going. I have him as the 146th most valuable player, and he's 191st right now uh, in ADP. And then for overvalued, I have Carlos Correa uh, right now uh, going at an ADP around 96. I have him as the 125th most valuable player. Again, there's nothing to really like in Correa's profile beyond the pedigree and the anticipation that he might be fully healthy this year, uh, which has has been something that hasn't really happened. And it's also been the back for him. And that's just something that seems to be lingering as an issue. And I just, I I think shortstop's so deep, I don't know why uh, I'd spend my 96 pick on him. You know, home runs, he's never hit more than 25 in a season. In the last three years, he doesn't have more than three stolen bases. And his career average is in the two, is is around 270. Um, it's in the 270s. And so, you know, there's nothing really that interests me in, the, in Carlos Correa right now at the price. I know that it's a lot lower than he has been going in the past. But we have another injury shortened season. And, you know, it could be that this is the year that he blows up, but... I'm not going to be the guy who is uh, paying the price. So it's 277 is his career average. So not even that helpful um, in that spot right there. For third base, I'm going to go with uh, Brian Anderson, 164th uh, most valuable player, according to my rankings, going in the ADP of 233. I also think Josh Donaldson uh, is in the mix for this. I just think he's a really nice value where he's going. And given the context that he's entering in Minnesota, So like both of those players, talked about them in the third base preview with Bubba, so won't go into too much depth there, but I think those two are really undervalued. Uh, Vlad Jr., and this is a a little bit controversial, I guess, is the guy that I think is overvalued, Uh, 59, uh, ADP of 59, and 85th 
most valuable uh, player according to my projections. I just think that the ground ball issue is a massive issue and it doesn't just take a slight adjustment for him to get there. It's going to take a bigger adjustment for him to get there and he doesn't hit the ball as hard um, in the air as he does um, on the ground. Um, and so it's just something where uh, I just think there's so many different um, we're essentially expecting major changes across his profile. And it's not that he can't do that because obviously like, you know, he's a 70 grade prospect. So it's certainly possible. But I just think at that point in the draft, you're really betting on him making at least some of those adjustments uh, in year two. And he didn't show that he could make them really in year one. He actually kind of got worse as the season progressed. So I may look foolish again in saying that, but um, I have I have Vlad as the most overdrafted guy right now. Uh, in outfield, I like Marcelo Zuna a lot. Uh, his ADP is 105, and he I have him as the 60th ranked player. He's just in an awesome situation. He's been extremely consistent throughout his career. And so the only drawback from him is that there's not a ton of speed, but with the 12 stolen bases he had last year, if he gets anywhere close to that with the Braves, I mean, just icing on the cake. Overdrafted was a little bit... Um, tough as well like I think outfielders are generally pretty well priced um, but I did I am going to go with Joey Gallo um, he's my 95th ranked uh, player and his ADP right now is 80 89 so it's not a huge difference but I just think in a lot of the competitions that I play in so overall competitions Gallo just isn't a guy that you can draft and I also think just generally with power being up across the board and there are also being some indications that Gallo was pretty lucky um, last year. Uh, I think that uh, I just think there that power is available later, and I, you know I just don't see the value of adding a guy with that type of a of a terrible batting average at this point in time um, in drafts. If you know why not go after Rugnet Odor, you know 150 picks later at second base where there's a little bit, uh, where it's a little bit shallower and you're also getting uh, some more speed. So OBP, it's different. Gallo has a, has a lot more um, value there, but for now, I think he's overrated. For starting pitchers, I'm going to go with Charlie Morton. Uh, he is currently the, the 56th player off the board. I have him ranked uh, as number 42, but he's been solid now for a number of years. He was really good with the Rays, um, and there's nothing that leaps out as being... Uh, unsustainable from what he's been able to do. Uh, so I really like where he's going. He's kind of at the back end of my kind of uh, my second aces that I would like to draft. But if I knew that I could get him, say, in the mid-50s, you know, I'd be a lot more willing to, you know, grab an ace in the first round and wait until the fourth round to grab him in a 15-team league. So I uh, really like uh, really like Char Charlie Morton a lot. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is going to be my overdrafted guy. Have him as the 94th ranked player. Uh, 80th uh, is his ADP right now. I just think that he's in for some regression with the strikeouts. Uh, nothing was really that much better than league average in his strikeout metrics, but his strikeout rate was around 29%. You know, if that falls, it means more balls in play. Um, he did get hit around a little bit, so... For that reason, I just am sticking off of Woodruff. I'd much rather grab some of the guys going later, like uh, Carlos Carrasco, uh, Lance Lynn, uh, Max Fried, somebody of that nature than I would in taking a shot at Woodruff right here when there's a lot of really good hitters on the board um, right there as well. 
for relief pitchers, uh, I'm going to go with Edwin Diaz. Right now, he is going at pick 123. I have him as the 102nd ranked player. I just think last year was one of these anomalies, um, and he's due some positive regression. He was not as bad as the numbers indicate last year. His home run per fly ball rate was like close to 30. I just think that he's in for a much better year, and the skills were still incredibly good. You know, 17% swinging strike rate was really, really good uh, from a skills perspective, and so I'm buying back into Diaz. Again, I don't know if I'm taking him here necessarily just because you know I like to wait on closers, but I do think the value is really nice. Uh, Archie Bradley is going to be the guy that is overdrafted, I think. He's going currently... Um, at uh, pick 165, and he is 160th on my valuations, but I think those are wrong. I had a tweet earlier about Bradley. I've been off of Bradley for a few years now, and that's served me well, but I just think Bradley's skills are not, they're just not good. Um, His swinging strike rate over his last... uh, 15 games last year was I think under 9%. Uh, I just think that he's not uh he's not he's not good. Um and so for that reason I I'm staying away. Like the strikeout rates aren't that good or not the strikeout rate but the underlying uh, the strikeout metrics. Um and then when you look at who's going after him like you have Alex Colomay, you have Hansel Robles, you have Emilio Pagan. You have these really highly skilled guys and guys who seem like they're pretty solid in their role who are going. And so I just can't see drafting Archie Bradley so early on in a draft, given the skill gap between him and some of the closers that are going later on. Um, there's just a lot better options, I think. Uh, so though that, Mike, are those are my kind of overvalued and underdrafted by position. Uh, the next question comes from Real Fake Walter at Real Fake Walter. Um, Walter is a, is a is a great fantasy player, a fun guy. Um, I'm in a, a, a fantasy dynasty league with him, a 20 team dynasty league. Um, and uh, Walter asks uh, sarcastically, prepping for the main event, should I pencil and rail Muto in the first or the second round? Uh, for those of you who have not been listening to the podcast or following me on Twitter, I'm a big fan of JT Real Muto uh, as early as the fourth round or even the late third round. I've, I've drafted him as early as 44, but I'm a big fan of his. And I think the correct answer, uh, Walter, is that he is he, J, JT Real Muto for catchers is in another dimension. So I'm going to go round zero. I think Real Muto is somebody that I'd like to draft before the draft starts. Um, but it was funny. I was going through my shares of players that I have so far this year, and I actually Real Muto is the guy that I own the most. I have him on six of my uh, six of my nine teams, I think, so far this year. So I guess I didn't realize I actually had him in that many. Uh, but I guess uh, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Uh, next question: Who do you like better in 2020, Sunny Gray or Frankie Montas? This is from uh, at Mike Genre. Um, I am going to go, and I think this may be a little bit surprising. Maybe not. I think they're pretty similar ADP-wise. But I'm going to go with Frankie Montas. And I think Frankie Montas, you know, he throws really hard. He developed the splitter last year. That was super helpful. You know, velocity is is great at limiting hard contact, especially elite velocity like he has. 
So I like Montas a lot. I think that Gray is due for a ton of regression. I really don't like the walk rate. So last year, his walk rate was at 9.6%. For starters, it's in like the high 7% for... Um, uh, in you know, as an average, he was at nine point eight percent the the year before. You know, between three and a half to four walks per nine. He's been able to, to get by on that by having a below league average home run per nine. So it was point nine seven in twenty eighteen, and then point eight seven last year. But that doesn't really make that much sense to me. The fact that he has his lowest career or at least since 2015, his lowest home run per nine, um, you know, in the year that home runs surge. Um, I just see the BABIP 255, its lowest since 2015, uh, pretty high strand rate. So it's not that he's terrible. I just don't think he's, I don't think he's that good. Um, his projection has him at um, 379 for the ATC with a 128 whip. 186 strikeouts. Uh, I just worry that the whip is going to get a little bit out of hand with those walks if that BABIP goes up and then the ERA um, is definitely going to go up when that home run per nine uh, levels out. So again, not that he's a bad pitcher. I just expect some regression. I don't think he's going to be as good as he was last year. And I think you're really drafting him uh, for that uh, at his price right now. And then for Montas, I just think he was uh, all around uh, solid last year. Um, again, you know, the, it's it's unfortunate about the PEDs, but I don't think that really was the reason why he was successful. It was the development of that split finger fastball, um, and so for that reason, you know, even when you look at the K minus walk, Montas's was higher than um, Sonny Gray's last year, just a little bit, but uh, much higher. Uh, he was uh, in the zone a decent amount. Uh, got a got a pretty high chase rate at 35%, you know, walk rate at 5.8% after 7.4% the previous year. So for those reasons, I trust Montas a little bit more uh, for next year, and I would uh, I would go with him over Sonny Gray. Next question is from at Zach Roto, and this is actually a tough one. I think um, it's impact on uh, Stripling signing. Uh, on the pitchers in uh, for the Angels, does this signal Otani not pitching until mid-year or used as a relief pe- relief pitcher? How much does this hurt Sandoval and other pitchers, reducing possible two start weeks? Maybe Heaney and Bundy. Um, right now, Roster Resource has, and again, Roster Resource isn't you know they're not magic. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, but right now, they have it being a six-man rotation with Teheran. Uh, Heaney, Stripling, Bundy, Canning, and Otani in there. I do think, and I think there was some rumblings of this uh, over the offseason, that you know Otani isn't necessarily at the point where he's likely to start the season pitching. Um, I want to say I, I heard that, although I don't have it in front of me. So um, if that's incorrect, somebody definitely correct me on Twitter. But I, I'm just uh, like I feel like his pitching is a little bit more iffy, and so I think the question is like. Stripling is probably the best pitcher that they have, you know, is, is, would be, you know, my guess. I mean, his ATC projection, 368 ERA, 119 whip, uh, nine strikeouts per nine, you know, 24.3%, 
K percentage, he's been incredibly consistent. I mean, an ERA under four for three consecutive years, a whip under one, two for three consecutive years, and about a strikeout uh, an inning. Uh, the walk rate is under two uh, the last two years and never, uh, and then 2.3 the year before that. It hasn't been above 6.3% in the last three years. So just an incredibly consistent profile. He's not going to walk guys. Um, and he doesn't really have too bad of a home run issue. Uh, BABIP is is fine. It's kind of league average. And so I'm not really concerned about any major regression there. So overall, I just think uh, Stripling is very solid. And so I definitely think that he is going to be in the rotation. Um, he's also got a decent uh, repertoire. You know, he's got uh, the curveball, um, which is good at limiting contact. Also, 13.6% swinging strike rate. That isn't you know, awesome, but in previous seasons, it has been, you know, above 15%. You know, also the changeup, a really nice pitch there. Uh, three of his pitches, the curveball, the slider, and the changeup all generate a ground ball rate above 50%, including the change at 65.9%. And that curveball and changeup are just really good pitches for him. So I think he's clearly the best play, best pitcher in that rotation right now. And then you got some high upside guys with uh, Bundy and Heaney, who I think are pretty similar in terms of their uh, overall overall profile. Um, I like Bundy more because he's going later than Heaney. And even Canning is a similar profile, right? Like two uh, uh, two good off speed pitches, um, but struggle with you know the the amount of the the quality of the contact that they give up. And so, you know, and obviously to Heron. So I think there's definitely those five guys, Otani possibly six. It could be that the impact is, um, you know, is that guys just get, you know, two, uh, a, a couple fewer starts, you know, because they do go with a six-man uh, rotation. It could be that they start out the season that way. And, you know, not, a lot of those guys are kind of a little bit iffy in terms of how hard they might get hit. So maybe one moves to the bullpen. You know, you never know. But I think at this point, you know, I would plan on it being a five-man rotation and then a six-man rotation when Otani is healthy. Uh, for Sandoval, I'm never, I've never totally understood the hype um, on Sandoval, mostly because of the walk rate. Um, he's had astronomical walk rates throughout um, his minor league career, and that's something that he struggled with last year as well. Uh, of course, my Fangraphs page right now for Sandoval is not... Uh, loading so I can check it. There we go. So he had an 11.2% walk rate. I know there's, you know, I think it's the changeup uh, that generates a lot of swing, a lot of whiffs, swinging strike rate at 13.5%. That's all nice, but if you're going to have an 11.2% walk rate, that's definitely a bullpen, uh, that's definitely a bullpen arm. And so he's a guy that I would, you know, generally steer, steer clear of just because the walk rate is, is so high. And that's something that he's struggled with really throughout um, his minor league career. And AAA last year was 11.6%. So I don't know if that really answers your question, Zach, because a lot of it is just, you know, you can make an educated guess on it. But I think Otani probably is a little bit delayed in, in, in coming back to the rotation. You know, maybe he's not going to pitch, you know, a full five or six innings when he's initially back in the rotation. I think they have some pretty solid arms and relief, so I don't anticipate that they will move him back there. Um, and they also really do need him in the rotation if he can be there because just from for health reasons and, and the quality of that rotation, they can use as many kind of uh, as much help as possible. But 
Um, I generally think that it'll be those five guys plus Otani, and and you know that's what they're going to move forward with. I, I don't really think Sandoval at this point is an option. Is a, is an option? I think he's probably in the minor leagues working to get that control um, under his belt. Um, all right. The next question is: You good waiting till thirteen third basemen have been taken to select my first one? Uh, and this is from Armchair Analyt One. Uh, good question. I think the answer is yes. Uh, you know, the 13th third baseman right now, uh, based on average draft position, you know, or the 14th actually is Matt Chapman. You know, after Matt Chapman for third base, you have Matt Chapman, Jeff McNeil, Mike Mostakis, Eduardo Escobar, Miguel Sano, Yuli Gurriel, who I obviously love. So you have all those guys who are out after there. Obviously, it depends on the depth of your league. But one of the things I think we get a little, and maybe, and I think I'm guilty of this too in a lot of, lot of ways, but is we get so fixated on like filling in the positions. And the real question is, is like, especially outside of catcher, you know, there isn't a ton of actual position scarcity. Like there are deeper positions and not deeper positions, but Let's say your third baseman ends up being the worst hitter on your team, you know, because you get a really good first baseman and a really good corner infielder, assuming you play with that format, you know, then it's okay to have a not as good third baseman. And the shallower your league is, obviously, you know, I think the less uh, the less it makes sense to, you know, uh, reach on a non-elite third baseman. So that's what I would say. I, I don't mind waiting. I think there are guys available late, even in deeper leagues. Like even if you go past, you know, 15, like getting a Miguel Sano around pick 125, if you've developed a, a floor, uh, batting average uh, floor is really nice. Same with Guriel in that spot. There's even speed at third base later on. So I think there's some guys, there's just a lot more uh, risk. Justin Turner with batting average. So I'm perfectly fine waiting that long to get my third baseman. I think the more important thing is, you know, what is the weakest spot? And if you have other weaknesses in your lineup and that weak third base, you know, then you may want to be thinking about, okay, like how do I get myself in this position and, 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 and how do I maybe take some, uh, how do I, how do I go after maybe some guys with a little bit of upside uh, that I might be able to move on from quickly if they don't get playing time or whatnot, you know, and be able to have some of the, some of the replacement level depth or getting a couple of them and seeing if one of them hits, you know, taking approaches like that. So don't mind it at all. Same goes for a lot of different positions. I've found myself with weak first baseman, weak third baseman, um, weak second baseman, even weak shortstops, you know, in different drafts. And you just want to make sure that you don't have too many weaknesses because uh, every team will have one. Next question is from at Palazzo Podcast. And it's, I'm curious since I know how you feel about catcher. Got to keep two of three. Is Gary Sanchez a top 84 player in 5x5 five five head-to-head categories, OBP? Um, or would you rather keep a combo of Bell and or Clevenger? Keepers have unlimited length and no price attached. Thanks. Um, so this is a good question. And the first thing I'd say is, is all of the catcher analysis you hear from me is generally about two catcher leagues. And so when I talk about getting JT Real Muto that early, I'm generally talking about two catcher leagues where there is, you know, that's the one place where there's kind of position scarcity. And what I mean by that is in valuations, you kind of bump up the value of catchers um, a little bit um, because they are, you know, uh, replacement level is so low. Uh, 
you know, in that particular case. So that would be my first question would be, it depends on whether it's a one-catcher or two-catcher league. I think if it's a one-catcher league, then Sanchez's value, especially in OBP, is diminished a little bit. And so I'd probably lean Bell over him. I definitely think you should keep Clevenger. I mean, Clevenger is a top five, top seven starting pitcher this year. He's a top, you know, 20 guy, you know, in my book, you know, for, for leagues heading into this year. So he's definitely a guy that I would keep. And, you know, assuming you don't have another ace, if you do, that might be a different story. But assuming you don't, uh, I think you really want that anchor um, in your roster. Uh, And then I think Bell and Sanchez are very close. Actually, they're like the 85th and 86th most valuable players, according to my valuations. Um, And that is, but those are average leagues and they both get a little bit of a bump in OBP. I would lean towards getting Sanchez if it's a two catcher league. And then I'd get, I'd probably keep Bell if it was a one catcher league. Obviously Sanchez is still elite at the catcher position. So he's very, very good. And he's much better in an OBP league. And so, you know, I don't think you can really go wrong with that decision if it's a one catcher league, Uh, but in two catcher leagues, I would probably go with Sanchez in that instance. I hope that is helpful. And again, always... Always remember that all of my catcher, most of my catcher strategy discussions are always going to be around two two catcher leagues because that's what I generally um, play in. That's what the NFBC does. And one catcher leagues, it's really like JT Real Muto, level one, uh, maybe Sanchez and Grandal kind of level two, although Grandal is very good in OBP leagues as well. Um, and then, you know, you got pretty much all the, all the rest of the top 12 catchers are, are the same. And it also depends on like the number of teams in your league. Cause I'm actually realizing you didn't include that either. So the deeper the league, obviously, you know, the more valuable though, those, those catchers become, uh, hope that's helpful. Uh, what is your personal over under on injury prone? This is the last question we have 135 games played on average over the last four years for a non-pitcher 135 inning pitch. Over, same, uh, over the same for a starting pitcher. Of course, Tommy John surgeries come into play, but as a ballpark, obviously we are talking about guys over 25 for the most part. This is from at 309 underscore baseball. You know, general question about being about injury proneness, if you will. Uh, I would say that it depends on whether it's a hitter or a pitcher. Um, I don't have any hard and fast rules. Like I don't think you should look at you know, have like a particular threshold that you're looking at. I think you just need to be cognizant of, you know, the injury history of a player. For a hitter, you know, there's been research that's been done that shows that there really isn't quote unquote injury prone hitters. You know, uh, most injuries are just kind of freak injuries, if you will. Um, Guys are always injury prone until they're not. Like Michael Brantley is a really good example of a guy who was injury prone until he wasn't. Um, and even Giancarlo Stanton, obviously it's, you know, last year he was injured and maybe there's a, an issue just with his body. Um, but, you know, he was he was healthy for two seasons after he broke his jaw. You know, he broke his jaw once. You know, Trey Turner is another example of a guy who's had some injury issues, getting hit by pitches and breaking fingers, things of that nature. You know, those are kind of freak injuries that that are just kind of random in nature. Uh, if a guy has like a back injury or like a soft tissue injury, I believe is what the research that Jeff Zimmerman has done. You know, there are some examples of injuries where, you know, you need to be a little bit more concerned. So I really think it's injury dependent. It's also dependent on a lot of other factors. Like does your league have an, have an, have an IL? 
You know, because if your league has an IL, then getting a guy who only plays 100 games, but you can stick on the IL and isn't going to take up a roster spot while he's injured, that can be pretty valuable, you know, having him in for 100 games and then a replacement level guy in for 50. So it really just depends. And so I I think what you should, should pay attention to is, yeah, what is the history of, you know, their plate appearances? Certainly don't um, you know, project them for more plate appearances than they've ever had in a season. Or, um, you know, if they've had a few seasons of being, you know, quote unquote injury prone or missing time, you know, you factor that into their project, their playing time projection a little bit. Um, but you know, don't, you know, don't like stay away entirely from a player because they're quote unquote injury prone. I think it's really a case by case basis and really think about how you can maximize value from those guys. An example that I'll give is, is like a Justin Turner, like Justin Turner, you know, he plays like, you know, 500 plate appearances to, to 550, you know, on a pretty consistent basis, but he's not really at, you know, 600. So the last three years, 549, 426, 543, he's dropped considerably from where he was going last year. But, you know, you're getting him for batting average and, you know, power and some counting stats. If you can get him on your team for his, you know, 130, 120 games, um, and then you can fill in for him while he's on the IL, even if you don't have an IL, you know, pick him up and then, you know, make sure you have get a third baseman on the off the waiver wire while he's out, you know, and 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 use the matchups, then all you do is say, okay, well I'm getting Justin Turner and his, you know, 288, 23 home runs, 78 run, 72 RBI, three stolen base projection at 541 plate appearances. And let's say I can add another 100 to that by streaming a guy. Even if that guy is league average, you know, that's going to bump him up to close to like you know, uh, 85, uh, or I mean a 90, 85, four stolen bases, you know, 28 home runs and a solid batting average. And so just be thinking about actually how you can, you know, use the lack of playing time that's in a projection to maximize value, if you will. And so for hitters, I don't really steer clear too much you know, at least later on in drafts, like I've actually never drafted Giancarlo Stanton um, in a league. And so, and I just, this year I won't be just because I don't think, um, you know, given like, you know, some of the injuries he's having recently, and then given what the profile is and given the offensive environment, I just don't value what he produces as much. But a guy like Starling Marte could definitely be considered injury prone. Like he doesn't have a 600 plate appearance uh, season, but I'm still going to draft him super high because the profile is unique. And then it's even better when you add in, you know, replacement value or even better than replacement value. We always say replacement value, but if you're working the matchups right, you know, and, and, and um, I definitely think it's possible to get even more than replacement level um, value from uh, from the guys that you're getting off the waiver wire. So for for hitters, that's all to say like injury prone is really on a case-by-case basis. I wouldn't use any type of marker to say this guy's injury prone. I'm staying away from him. Think about how you can use your league settings, you know, and manipulate your roster to actually maximize the value of a guy like that who can perform while he's healthy. I hope that's helpful and it answers the, the question that you had. For pitchers, it's a little bit of a difference because the research shows us that the most, the best indicator of future injury for pitchers is previous injury. And so guys who are frequently injury, injured, and a, and a great example for today is James Paxton. I have not owned James Paxton, Paxton 
I think for like three years. I think I, I owned him when I got him like at pick 140 or something like that, like after he had a little bit of a breakout with the Mariners. But, you know, that's just an example of a guy who pretty clearly cannot be healthy. I mean, obviously things can change, right? Like Steven Strasburg last year through had a career year, you know, through over 200 innings, I think for the first time or maybe the second time or the first time in a while. Yeah, he was at 209 after 130, 175, 147. But again, it really depends on how valuable the pitcher is. Like, because again, like with pitchers, what you're going to do is you're going to be starting him in every game where he's healthy. So you're going to be getting all of that from him. And then if you're doing some streaming, depending on how deep the league is, you know, or if you have a deep bench of starting pitchers, like, you know, let's say you were even getting like a four or a four two ERA from that guy. When you add him to Strasburg, you're still getting a really good guy. And so the thing is really like less about whether a guy is injury prone so much as what is the cost going to be and what is the value that I'm able to get out of him and and the mixing and matching that I'm going to do while they're out. But I definitely think for pitchers, it's much more about the injury, but it also depends on the type of injury, right? So like Carlos Carrasco is getting super, his, his stock has dropped precipitously. And obviously last year, like it wasn't that he had a arm injury or a back injury or any type of injury that you would necessarily be concerned of for a pitcher. He had an illness, right? He had cancer. And so as long as he's back and healthy and pitching, you know, and I think, um, on the launch angle podcast, they, they, uh, Rob and, uh, Jeff Zimmerman really made a really good point about that. It's just like, you know, if he's back and pitching, like theoretically he should be at or near a hundred percent in spring training. And so unless there's like a major dip in velocity, you know, that's, that's something I'd factor in. But outside of that, like, I think, you know, um, uh, it just really depends on what the injury is and, and how, how deep that history goes. And so again, like don't, it's all about value. So don't just disregard a pitcher. You need to look at every single guy. And it's really just a value proposition of, you know, how much are they being discounted because of their injury? What do I think I can do with this injured guy? You know, what does him plus, you know, my sixth and seventh starter do, my eighth starter do um, for my overall line? So I think just thinking about injury proneness in that sense, instead of as like a cut and dry, you know, 135 games or, you know, uh, 130 innings, whatever it is. Uh, think of it more as a continuum. Uh, think about value, think about league settings and think about how you can maximize that value as much as possible. So hope that is helpful in answering your question. Um, that was the last question. Thanks everybody. It was kind of an impromptu mailbag. Let me know if you enjoyed, um, the episode, uh, because, you know, uh, if I have the opportunity, I will try to do more of these, uh, more often. That is going to wrap us up for episode 114 of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, really appreciate uh, all of your uh, listenership uh, because there's so much great content out there. There's so many good podcasts, and the fact that you are listening to this is something that um, I just appreciate a lot. So thank you so much for doing that. Hope you found the mailbag uh, helpful. Uh, please do let me know what you think. Hit me up on uh, DMs or just respond to when I post the podcast. Let me know what you think about the mailbags because if it is something that people like, if this is a format that um, is conducive to spreading um, or sharing a little bit of my perspective on things, a little bit of uh, the knowledge that um, I have, then uh, yeah, we'll do more of them. So thank you again. 
Uh, Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.